want to invite and encourage you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. And as you're turning there, all the little ones that are going off to kids' worship can be dismissed at this time. We're going to pick up our series in Revelation uh, chapter 2. Last week we talked about the church in Pergamum. Uh, This morning we're going to look at the church in Thyatira, beginning in verse number 18. Uh, Last week in in looking at the church in Pergamum, uh, we discussed the difference between wise compromise and, and worldly compromise. In fact, we identified some characteristics of worldly compromise, such as uh, worldly compromise never occurs quickly. And then that compromise always lowers the original standard. Third thing was that compromise is seldom offensive. And then the fourth principle was that compromise often is the first step towards total disobedience. It is so easy to see that worldly compromise will ultimately destroy a church even a community and a, a nation. This past week, we've seen the damage and destruction that can occur when worldly compromise is achieved. Many of you, I'm sure, are aware and hopefully saddened and discouraged by the recent rulings and decisions made in New York. How now they've legalized abortion at any point in a woman's pregnancy. No longer have they said that abortion needs to be performed by a, by a physician. They even removed the, the protection of life should a, a baby survive an abortion attempt and is given birth, then at one point they were protected by the law. Now they're no longer protected by the law, so they now can be murdered after birth. We're sad, and I've seen, and I've heard, and I've listened, and uh, the moral outrage is appropriate, but my fear is that it will be short-lived, and that we'll go back to our lives, we'll go back to doing what we do, and we'll forget about it, and then another state will pass another law and legislate uh, this new attempt, and, and where will we be at that point? Do you realize that New York isn't the first state to make this decision? Outside of Washington, D.C., there are seven other states that already have this in their, um, in their law books. So this is already a rea- reality in Alaska, Colorado, New Hampshire, uh, New Mexico, New Jersey. It's the reality in Vermont. And now, in addition to that, New York. And like, don't get me wrong, like, I believe it's important for us to, to speak out and to stand for what's right and for what's true. But ultimately, we're going to have to do something more than just simply making a, a social media post or, or holding a banner at some point and somewhere. Like this past week, I was reading through just a different types of data collection points and just trying to, you know, educate myself even further as to the degree of what's really happening in our, in our nation. And I come across Planned Parenthood's uh, fiscal um, numbers. And the latest one that's available is for the year 2016 and 2017. 
But when you look at that data, then it reveals that in that year, they performed in their facilities 321,384 abortions just through Planned Parenthood. During that same year, they they made 3,889 adoption referrals. So if you do the math, you'll recognize that for every adoption referral that they gave, they also performed 84 abortions. Since 1973, they've committed 7.6 million abortions. When are we going to recognize it's not Planned Parenthood, it's Planned Non-Parenthood? Systematically designed. Do you even know? Systematically designed from its inception to eliminate the undesirables and the African Americans in our nation. But 74% of all Planned Parenthood facilities are found in minor communities. It's outrageous. We live in a world of compromise when people will seek their own interests no matter what the cost. People were willing to sell their souls for, for possession, for power, for prestige, or, or, or even pleasures of this world. People of all ages will pursue worldly compromise and do whatever is necessary in order to be accepted or to get attention. People are willing to do whatever is necessary in order to land their dream job or to get that promotion. They're willing to make whatever compromise is needed in order for them to get a little bit more money, have a bigger house, or drive a better car. I mean, the list can go on and on. I hope the point is clear. People will often compromise what they know is right in order to get what they want. The reason why I say all of that is because the church of Thyatira is a perfect example of this reality. So so let's look at it. Let's begin. We're going to begin like we always do. Let's identify the characteristic of the one who sends this letter. And so look at verse number 18. Verse number 18 says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. And so the risen Christ tells the church of Thyatira that he ultimately is the Son of God. That's what he says. The words of the Son of God. Now this is the only time that this title is used in the book of Revelation. It's not the only time that this title is used in the Scriptures. Elsewhere you'll see that, that John uses this eight different times in the Gospel according to John. Not only that, he uses it seven times in his letter, 1 John. In addition to that, this title is used in reference to Jesus a total of 32 times throughout the New Testament. And so what Jesus is saying, as the Son of God, He has eyes and He has feet. He has eyes like the the flame of fire, and He has feet like burnished brass. And so what does all that mean? Well, it helps us to to look back into chapter 1 to get a better understanding of of what Christ is saying. So, you know, turn over to to chapter 1 real quick. And and the vision of Christ that's contained in chapter 1, let's pick up in verse number 14. There it says that the hairs of his head 
were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like uh, burnished bronze, uh, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And so here, in the vision of Christ that's given to us in chapter 1, we see that his eyes actually represent his all-encompassing knowledge. The theological term that, that describes that is the term omniscience. This is all-knowing ability. And so uh, his eyes represent his all-encompassing knowledge, and then his feet symbolizes his all-encircling power. So he has the knowledge and the power. He has the omniscience, and he is omnipotent. That's the other theological word. He's all-powerful. So Christ is all-knowing, and he's all-powerful. And so his knowledge is fully expressed as he describes in detail their sin and its consequences. But before we get to the sin of the church, and, uh, let's first look at the compliment that he has for him, Because he actually has a really strong compliment to give to the church. And, and so look at uh, chapter 2, verse number 19. There he says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. So he, he, he says good things about this church. He, he, the compliments that, that what he says is almost comparable to that of the church in Ephesus. And he says that they're growing in their many activities. In fact, they're known for their many more activities that they're involved in than when they very first began. So they're growing in their activities. They're known for their love. They're known for their faith. They're known for their service. They're known for their perseverance. Notice that what's different about this church than the church in Ephesus that began chapter 2 is that the virtue of love is being recognized and praised. Because the church in Ephesus, that was their problem. They did all of this stuff, but they lacked love. Now here, the church in Thyatira, they are recognized for their love. Now, so he gives four virtues. He gives love, faith, service, and uh, perseverance. I believe that these four virtues are probably meant to be paired. Uh, explain it this way. The first two, love and faith, speak about the motives. Love and faith speak about the motives the second two service and perseverance are the deeds or the works so it'd be paired up like this their love for others their love for god their love for the laws produced service not only that their faith in christ had assured uh, perseverance in their commitment to him so love and service are connected. Faith and patient endurance are connected. And so this church was not content to standing still in their relationship with God and in their relationship with one another. They were growing in their faith. They were stronger in their love. In fact, they had grown so much more in their faith and in their love than when they very first began which is a great time for us to stop and to consider for ourselves, what about us? 
Are you growing in your faith? Not only have you grown in your faith, are you growing in your faith? And then what about your love? Are you strong? Are you growing in your love? Growing in your love for God? Growing in your love for one another? Growing in your love for the lost? What you need to understand is that despite the appearance of spiritual maturity, the church in Thyatira had a serious problem. And so let's look at that. Pick up in verse number 20. And so from verses 20 through 23, it says, But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her unto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. The Lord found so much to expose and condemn within this church, which means that no amount of love, no amount of sacrificial works can compensate for the tolerance of evil. This church was permitting a false prophetess to influence the congregation and to lead them into worldly compromise. The name Jezebel that's used here, I believe, is likely symbolic. In, in fact, in 1 Kings chapter 16 and 17, you'll read about Jezebel, who was an idolatrous queen who enticed Israel to add Baal worship into their religious ceremonies. And so this Jezebel that's being mentioned here in chapter 2 of Revelation is a false prophetess who was leading and teaching believers how to compromise their faith by the practice and the addition of other things of, that are outside of God's boundaries that he's placed upon us. So she's bringing corruption and immorality into the church. And many people were, were, were guilty of following her in her twisted agenda. Now, I think it's interesting uh, to contrast the church in Ephesus and the church of Thyatira. If you remember, the Ephesian church, they were weak in their love, yeah, but they were faithful to judge its teachers. But here, the church in Thyatira, they were growing in love, but they were too tolerant of false doctrine, which is interesting because both extremes must be avoided in church. Unloving orthodoxy and loving compromise are extremes that need to be avoided. And so we see examples of both of them here in Revelation chapter 2. So not only was the church of Thyatira tolerant of evil, Apparently, it, it was proud and it was unwilling to repent. God gave the false prophetess time to repent, and the Scripture says that she refused. Now he was giving her followers the opportunity to repent. Look back at verse number 23. 
Verse number 23 says, I will give to each of you according to your works. It's an important distinction that we need to understand here. Although it is true that we are saved by grace, our judgment cannot uh, entirely be separated uh, from our works. In fact, a judgment based upon works is taught all throughout Scripture. It's mentioned here in verse number 23. Elsewhere, John talks about in Revelation chapter 20, verse number 12. There he writes and he says, I saw the dead, uh, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So John talks about it elsewhere. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 2, verse number 6. Paul says that he will judge everyone according to what they have done. It's even talked about by Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 27, For the Son of Man will come with His angels in the glory of His Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And then finally in Revelation chapter 22, Verses 12 and 13, Jesus says, Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So make no mistake, our good deeds do not produce salvation. But salvation ought to be producing good deeds in our lives. It is possible to have good deeds and no salvation. It is not possible to have salvation without the lack of good deeds in our lives. Good deeds are the fruit that give evidence of our root in Jesus Christ. So, yeah, we're saved by grace, and that salvation needs to be producing within us good deeds. And so, he continues... Jesus says that uh, this judgment that's coming upon them would only happen to them if they failed to repent. I want you to notice the command that he has for them. Look at the command of verses 24 and 25. It says in verse 24, But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast to what you have until I come. So the positive is, is that apparently not everyone in the church was unfaithful to the Lord. There were some that had separated themselves from this false doctrine. There were some that had refused to engage in the the compromising practices of Jezebel and her followers. And so to them... The Lord placed no special demands upon them. His word of encouragement to them was simply to hold fast. To keep going. Don't give up. Don't give in. But then notice the commitment that he has in verse number 26. It says that the one who conquers and the one who keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with the rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So all the promises to the overcomers uh, so far have been summarized as various metaphors uh, for eternal life. Like think back, if you go back uh, to the church in Ephesus in verse number 7, the symbol of of eternal life was, was given to us by eating from the tree of life. So then to the church in Smyrna, the symbol of eternal life was in the receiving a crown of life. And then last week in the church in Pergamum, the symbol for eternal life was the receiving of hidden manna and the receiving of that white stone in verse number 17. Here is a shift that's happening here. Now the church of Thyatira there is now an indication that's given to us about what overcomers will be doing as they enjoy eternal life. So now that he's talking that you have eternal life, now we get some insight as to what that eternal life is going to look like. Two things that he says. He says that they will share in Christ's authority over the nations. Look back at verse 26. He says, the one who conquers... And who keeps my works into the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. So God the Father gave his Son authority to rule the nation. And then a beautiful thing happened. God the Son turns around and shares his ruling authority with those who overcome. So what is one of the things that we'll be doing in eternity? For those that believe and hold true to the hand, is that we'll be ruling with Christ. Not only do we have ruling authority that He gave to us, a further reward is that we're going to receive the morning star. Well, you, you, your faces look blank. Like, okay, what's a morning star? I'm so glad you asked. Because if you understood what the morning star was, it ought to bring a little bit of excitement, a joy, or who knows, maybe even a amen. Let me give you some insight. Like look over in Revelation chapter 22. The key for interpreting this is right in Scripture. Revelation 22, verse number 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. Oh, you see what that means? What we have for eternity is he's given us ruling authority and he's given us himself. Like that's awesome news. The reward is Christ himself. So to those who repent, they are promised that they will reign with Christ. Not only will they reign with them, they will have the eternal presence of Jesus with them. That is awesome. Now God's exhortation to three of the four churches, the exception so far has been the church of Smyrna. His exhortation so far to the churches is in the word repent. Let me me point out to you. Uh, Go back to uh, verse number five. To the, uh, to the church in Ephesus. This isn't on the screen. So look at verse number 5. 
It says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And then to the church in Pergamum, go down to verse number 16. Verse number 16 says, therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Now to the church in Thyatira. Look at verse number 22. He says, Behold, I will throw her unto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent. Repent of her works. I want you to understand that repentance is not just a call for those who are without Christ. Oh yes, they're to repent. They're to repent from their sin, turn to Christ, put their faith and trust in Him, receiving the forgiveness and the salvation that He has to offer. Absolutely, they're to repent. But repentance is also the call that God gives His disobedient children. Repentance is a call for all of us. If we do not repent, if we do not deal with the sin that's in our lives or the sin that's within the church, then the Lord may judge us and like the church in Ephesus, may even remove our lampstand from us. For those that missed it, that meant the church itself. And so, Christ said that judgment would only happen if they failed to repent. So this means a wonderful thing. As long as we draw breath, we have an opportunity to repent. Now we don't know how long we have, so we shouldn't waste the opportunities that we have in this moment. But no matter what you've done, no matter how terrible it is, God's call unto you, unto all of us, it's a call of repentance. To confess our sin. To seek the cleansing that He has to offer. To make a commitment to walk in a right relationship with Him. If we repent, then He'll forgive us of our sins. If we'll repent, then He'll save us from destruction. If we'll repent, then He'll deliver us from judgment. One final verse, and I'm done. Notice what it says in Acts chapter 3, verse number 19. It's a command. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. We'll say a prayer. We'll move into a time of invitation. My, my challenge to all of us is a call for repentance. The altar is open. There's a few of the elements that are left. If you'd like to take communion during this time, that's fine. The thing I want to encourage you to do in this moment is to take a personal inventory of your life. What, if anything, is God calling you to repent from? Will you? Will you confess your sin? Will you turn to Him, receiving the forgiveness of sin? And will you make a commitment to live your life to the fullest for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, help us in this time. 
You know that the work that needs to be done in and through all of our hearts and lives, we're not fooling anybody in this place. Well, we might be fooling people in this place, but we're not fooling you. So God, may your spirit move among us, guiding us, convicting us. God, may we do whatever is necessary so that we can leave here in the right relationship with you. Father, I pray that you will be pleased by what you see in us. God, may we not be worried about what's happening around us, but may we focus on what we need to do so that when we leave this place, we're in the right relationship. So God, if it's a call for salvation today, if it's a call for repentance, if it's a call for church membership, if it's a call for baptism, whatever it is, Father, may you be glorified in this moment. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.